A brief glimmer of hope in an otherwise terrible news cycle. Republicans have successfully torpedoed one of Joe Biden's most radical nominees. That would be Neera Tanden, former head of Center for American Progress, who was up to be the director of the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, Senator Rob Portman, Republican, decided to read her her own record in uh, oh, an explanation of why the senators probably were not going to vote to confirm her. You wrote that Susan Collins is, quote, the worst, that Ted, Tom Cotton is a fraud, that vampires have more heart than Ted Cruz. Uh, you called Leader McConnell Moscow Mitch and Voldemort, um, and on and on. I, I wonder specifically, how do you plan to mend fences and build relationships with members of Congress who have attacked through your public statements? Senator, uh, I very much appreciate that question. I recognize the concern. I deeply regret and apologize for my language and some of my past language. Um, I recognize that this role is a bipartisan role, and I know I have to earn the trust of senators across the board. I deleted tweets because I regretted my tone, and I've deleted tweets over many months. I so, but for those concerned about my, my rhetoric and my language, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry for any hurt that they've caused. I bet she's regretting them now because Neera Tanden has withdrawn her nomination for OMB. Finally, we get a little bit, just a little bit to halt the radicalism of the Biden administration. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Idaho Man 54 who says, Dr. Seuss's new book is, Oh, the places you won't go because you're canceled. <laughs> that one's, you know, not quite as uplifting as the original, but probably a uh, fitting update for the times that we are living in. Tricky times means you got to be prepared. When you want to be prepared, you got to check out ReadyWise. ReadyWise is the leader in emergency food supplies with a selection of emergency meals, freeze-dried fruits and vegetables for convenient on-the-go nutrition, and new adventure meals for hiking, camping, and other outdoor activities. ReadyWise makes being prepared simple and affordable. Order online and have nutritious meals shipped directly to your doorstep. When preparing the ReadyWise meals, all you need is four cups of water. The water does not even need to be hot. You just pour the food into the water. You stir, you cover. After about 15 minutes, the meal is ready. Some meals can even be prepared directly in the pouch, which eliminates the need for additional supplies. If you have gone through the last year, year and a half, and you still don't understand that it's good to be prepared for tough situations, I can't help you. For the rest of us this week, my listeners can get 10% off at readywise.com when entering Knowles 10 at checkout or by calling 855-453-2945. ReadyWise has a 30-day no-questions-asked return policy. There is no risk in taking the initiative to get you and your family prepared today. That's ReadyWise, R-E-A-D-Y-W-I-S-E.com, promo code Knowles10 to get 10% off. Neera Tandon is gone. This is a, a big win. It, in the broader scope of the Biden administration, we're still going to get a ton of radical policy. But this was a big win. This was a, a Republican saying, this is a line we will not cross. Notice here that uh, Neera Tandon says, look, I regret it. I regret this. And I deleted a lot of these tweets. Right. She deleted those tweets 
when she was seeking a nomination in the Biden administration. There are, there are two reasons to delete tweets. One, because you actually regret what you said. And two, because you fear some consequence from what you said, even though you still believe it. I rarely delete tweets. I can count on one hand, I think the number of times I've deleted tweets. And when I've deleted tweets, it's because I've actually regretted something. There's one tweet that I, I actually still feel bad about. It was back during the Kavanaugh confirmation hearing and Tommy Lauren, the conservative commentator, was saying things that I thought were quite wrong and I disagreed with vehemently. And I sent out a really mean tweet about Tommy Lauren and I, and I felt bad about it because I don't think that's the way people ought to behave in public. And I, so I deleted that tweet. I didn't delete the tweet because I thought Tommy Lauren was going to nominate me to the office of management and budget and, or something like that. And I, I, it wasn't because I feared that sort of a consequence. It's because I felt bad about it. Which way do you think Neera Tanden was going when she deleted those tweets? Do you think it's because she actually regretted saying all those terrible things about Cruz and Susan Collins and all these people? Or do you think it's because she knew that that was going to be very difficult uh, if she was insulting the people she was relying on to confirm her to this office? And so she was trying to get ahead of the story. Notice also, notice also that Republicans torpedoed her here, not over her radicalism, this woman was leading an extremely radical organization in this country. She has espoused very radical points of view, but it wasn't about that. It was because she attacked them personally. Had Neera Tandon not gone personally after these senators, I, I suspect she would be in the position already. I suspect they would vote to confirm her. So I am glad that we can play on the vanity of elected politicians to kick out one of the worst nominees, but it, it's not going to matter much for the more politically astute nominees in the Biden administration. They're not going to have that long tweet record. They're not going to have personally insulted all the people that they're trying to convince to, to vote for them. So they're going to get through. Notice too, what, what Tandon said about OMB. She said, the office of management and budget is a bipartisan role. If I could strike that word from the English language, I would like to do that. There is no such thing as bipartisan. Partisan means that you are exclusive. You are with this party. You are not with the other party. Bipartisan doesn't make any sense. I think what she means to say is nonpartisan. So she, what she wants to say is the office of management budget. Look, I might be a partisan Democrat, but, but the OMB is a nonpartisan role. There, there is such a thing as nonpartisan, but the whole idea of nonpartisan depends on where the culture stands, right? Because it, what nonpartisan means is it's the sort of thing we can all agree on, the sort of thing that serves the common good, and, and we all sort of agree on that common good. And would Neera Tandon have done that? Would Biden have done that? Probably not. But even in theory, there are plenty of things that were nonpartisan in the past that now are partisan. A, a clearest example of this probably is the American flag. The American flag was something that both parties would wave, even though Democrats were soft on communism and they're pretty radical starting in the 60s and 70s. We would all still wave the American flag, right? Recently, the American flag has become a partisan symbol. Democrats now regularly protest the American flag. They protested on football fields. They protest it in political situations. If you see an American flag, if someone's got an American flag in the back of their car, can you draw a conclusion about that person's political party? Absolutely. 
Of course you can. 99 times out of 100, that's going to be a Republican driving that car. So that's a symbol. It used to be nonpartisan. Now it is partisan. While nonpartisan symbols are becoming partisan, partisan symbols are becoming nonpartisan, according to the way that the culture is moving further and further to the left. Most egregious example of this just happened the other day in the U.S. Navy. The U.S. Navy has released a new mandatory training on eradicating extremism. In this training, the U.S. Navy claims that Black Lives Matter is a nonpartisan organization. The way this came out is because they give examples of sort of questions you might ask about propriety in the military. One question, one example question is, my boss is always talking about Black Lives Matter in the workspace. Isn't that political stuff that they're not supposed to be talking about at work? I'm going to stop there for a second. The obvious answer is yes, it is. It, not only is it political stuff, it's subversive, explicitly Marxist stuff that seeks to undo the American nation. So yeah, probably they shouldn't be talking about that in the U.S. military. Here's the answer the Navy gives. Advocating for or against a public policy issue, as here, is authorized as long as the behavior is otherwise lawful and the advocacy is not politically partisan in nature. The implication being that BLM is not politically partisan. First of all, organizations that seek to dismantle our entire American system should not be permitted in the workplace, should not be permitted in the government, and certainly should not be permitted in the U.S. military. So that's a, that's a problem in general. But even on this narrower point, BLM is nonpartisan. I guess that's the case. This is what the Democrats have done very successfully. They've taken contested, controversial political points of view, and they've mandated them. I mean, now, if you say that, this is the example we always go back to because it's the most ridiculous one. If you say that a man is not a woman, you are deemed not just, not just a common sense person, which is what you actually are. You're not even just deemed a partisan. You're deemed a hateful bigot who ought to be ostracized from society because that kind of bigoted language has no place in America, mister, if you think that men shouldn't be allowed to go use the little girl's room. We, we got rid of near a tandem. Uh, that's, that's great. Uh, but the radicalism is still here. Th- this training in the Navy goes on. It, pro- quote, prohibits any member of the Naval Services from participating in any organization advocating supremacist causes. What is a supremacist cause? I don't, I don't know what, I think that the U.S. Navy is an American supremacist organization, right? It, it exists to kill our enemies. That's it. That seems like a supremacist cause. I think you got to get a little more specific here when you're talking about these words. Uh, it prohibits any member from participating in an organization advocating illegal discrimination. Notice the qualifier here. Not any organization advocating discrimination. Illegal discrimination. Illegal discrimination would be, for instance, if uh, a college or university disadvantaged black and Hispanic applicants. That would be illegal discrimination. It would be very legal discrimination if it if that same college or university disadvantaged white and Asian applicants. Because some racial discrimination is not only protected by law, but mandated by law. So the Navy says, no, the legal racial or otherwise discrimination, totally fine, probably mandatory. The illegal discrimination, no thanks. Or advocating the use of force or violence against the U.S. government or a state government. It has to say that because that is still the law. Uh, That's been the law for many, many decades in this country. 
The radicalism, though, still here. Jen Psaki, our favorite White House press secretary, who is currently the White House press secretary, people are attacking her for doing a very bad job. And she's not as talented as her predecessors, Kaylee McEnany, Sarah Sanders. I mean, these were really tough ladies who got up there, knew their stuff. Kaylee famously brought binders with lots and lots of answers. And they, they would give usually direct answers to questions. Jen Psaki hasn't been doing that in part because maybe she's just not as good at her job as her predecessors were, but also in part because the, the Biden administration's policies are so radical. They are so unlike anything that we have seen in this country before that if she were to give a direct and honest answer to it, that would really put her boss in a lot of hot water. The most recent example of this just came yesterday was a simple question. We know Joe Biden is very pro-abortion. Would he go so far as to force doctors who have a conscience objection to abortion to perform an abortion? Jen Psaki can't answer that question. I, I, I love these White House press briefings because it, what you learn so much more from the non-answers than you learn from the answers. She's not going to answer the question directly. Okay, try to read between the lines. Listen to what she's not saying here in this answer. There's pro-life groups right now very concerned about the, uh, the phrase pregnancy discrimination in the Equality Act. You're familiar with that, I'm sure. That it would force doctors to perform abortions even if it violates their conscience. There are also concerns the bill would force doctors to perform gender transition surgeries and sterilizations again even if it violates their conscience. What does the president, President Biden, say about those concerns? Uh, the president's been a long supporter of Roe v. Wade. Uh, it has been uh, his consistent belief that should be law, and he f- will fight to continue to protect that as being law. Conscience concerns is not a concern of his? No, I think, again, I'm just going to state what the president's policies are. Did you have another question? Will President Biden keep the conscience and religious freedom division at HHS, the office that was put in place under President Trump, will keep it in place to receive conscience complaints from those doctors? You'll have to talk to a future Secretary Becerra once he is confirmed. The smugness here, the condescension, makes the already egregious answer even worse, where he says, hey, is Joe Biden seriously going to make Catholic doctors perform abortions? Or not just Catholic, any doctor who opposes killing babies in the womb? She goes, well, you know, it's the policy and the gobbledygook and the doopadipadee. She could have just been up there reading Dr. Seuss. She can't be reading Dr. Seuss now, of course, because he's canceled. But she could have been reading the phone book. She's just sort of stonewalling the answer. And she goes, okay, so that's it. That's the policy. Um, do you have any other questions? He goes, yeah. All right, here, here's a specific law <laughs> that will prevent you from doing that. Is he just not going to care about that whatsoever? She goes, well, uh, you're going to have to save that question for the secretary. <laughs> Uh, but yes, Joe Biden is going to force doctors to butcher babies against their own conscience. He's going to do that because, and we can be confident that he's going to do that because he's the same guy who sued nuns over the nuns refusal uh, to provide contraception and abortion inducing drugs. Mr. Moderate Joe Biden any nominees that we can take away from this guy, any appointees that we can shoot down, works for me. That we cannot have any confidence, as some very misguided Republicans 
very small minority of Republicans, but some misguided Republicans said before the election, oh, Biden, he'll be kind of moderate. Don't worry about him. He's not. He's, he, he probably has no idea what's going on. We'll get to that a little bit later. But his administration is the, the most radical administration we've ever seen because we're living in the most radical culture we've ever seen where even Dr. Seuss is not safe from being canceled. Six books by Dr. Seuss will no longer be published. Those, those books are, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. I actually, these are books that I haven't really read of Dr. Seuss's. They're kind of smaller books, though I love Mulberry Street. Kind of wish I had that book. If I ran the zoo, Nick Elligott's pool, On Beyond Zebra, Scrambled Eggs Super, and The Cat's Quizzer. These Dr. Seuss books, probably the most beloved children's author ever in the history of the United States. Uh, They're banned because they have insensitive and politically correct depictions of cats or something. I don't don't know. I I haven't read them. Universal Islands of Adventure theme park, which is located in Florida, is now looking rid of, uh, getting rid of the Dr. Seuss themed area of the park in light of the new, new cancellation of certain Dr. Seuss books. I tried to buy these Dr. Seuss books for my cute little baby, sweet little newborn June, wanted to uh, make sure that he had access to Dr. Seuss when he was a kid. You can't find them. If you, if you go on Amazon and other places, these books, the, the remaining supply are selling for like $2,000 right now because they know they're, they're not going to be produced anymore. The left is thrilled about this. Washington Post defending the cancellation of Dr. Seuss. This is Philip Bump writing for the Washington Post. I don't know who Philip Bump is. Uh, they don't include a biography of him. The headline, if curtailing racist imagery in Dr. Seuss is cancel culture, what exactly is your culture? Uh, it's a bunch of nonsense, but the lines that matter. No one is canceling Dr. Seuss, a phrase by now so detached from reality that it doesn't even make any sense. The author himself is dead for one thing, which is about as canceled as a person can get. Uh, not true if you believe in heaven, you damned heretic. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, I digress. The vast, vast majority of his books, the ones without racist images or references, will still be sold. The ones without racist images. You sure about that? Isn't I'll pause there. By the way that the term racist has been expanded in recent years, expanded to mean absolutely nothing at all, the charge that he makes about the phrase cancel culture, do you really think that any of our past is safe from cancellation? I don't. I think everything is going to be called racist. Or if they finally deprive the word racist of all meaning, which I think effectively they already have, they'll just come up with a new term. You already see they post the supremacist, Na- nationalist now is a bad term. They're just going to cancel every, do you really, if you can cancel Dr. Seuss, do you really think they're going to stop with a few books of Dr. Seuss? But this fellow at the Washington Post goes on. If Dr. Seuss's profile wanes a bit as a result of the attention being paid to his drawings, the only form of canceling at play here, to whom is harm being done? Can't be to Dr. Seuss because he's already dead. The harm is being done, of course, to our culture. But this guy goes on. Seuss's caricatures are hurtful anachronisms. Anachronisms, right? So he's, what he's saying is it's not that they're wrong and evil. He's saying they're just outdated. He's, this guy is taking a progressive view of history. So he's actually kind of already giving up the game. He's saying they're anachronisms, meaning things from the past are bad and you got to get rid of them. 
So he's undercutting his own argument that other things from the past will be fine. And no, they're, they're anachronistic. They're from the past. The past is bad. It's a progressive view of history whereby we have to kill our forebears, kill the culture that we've inherited, kill this great gift that we've been given down through the ages to move into the future, which will liberate us. What's more until a few weeks ago, my son didn't know this book existed. So where's the harm in his not seeing its images? Why would anyone think it is less problematic for a kid to be exposed to racist caricatures of African or at a different point in this book, Asian people than for him not to be? This isn't some toxic cancel culture. If it were, what would you say? What would that say about the culture that you're defending? So he's saying, look, it's not cancel culture. He's, he's undercutting his argument immediately. He says, this isn't cancel culture. Uh, but we're going to cancel all that bad old culture. And what, are you going to defend it? What are you, a racist or something? Right? This, this isn't cancel culture. But if it were, are you a racist? You're sure not going to defend it, are you? There is no limiting principle here. This is another aspect of our culture and political correctness specifically that Trump got 100% right. And everybody made fun of him at the time. You remember when, when he was defending Robert E. Lee statues, there's a big left-wing hubbub to take down Robert E. Lee, who is one of the noblest men to ever fight for a bad cause, right? (laughs) Robert E. Lee, the idea that Robert E. Lee was some kind of vicious man is preposterous. It's anti-historical. And the idea that we need to erase half of our country or more than half of our country, they probably, I don't think the left just wants to erase the South. I think they want to erase the entire traditional American nation. It's crazy. So he said, okay, you're you're going after Robert E. Lee now. And some people aren't going to defend him because he fought for the mean old Southerners. You really think they're going to stop with Robert E. Lee? No, I think they're going to go after Lincoln. They're going to go after Jefferson. They're going to go after Washington. And people laughed at him and they mocked him at the time. And then what happened? Within a year or two, left-wing agitators started pulling down statues of Jefferson and Washington and Lincoln, renaming schools, erasing our culture. I don't even care that much about Dr. Seuss. I mean, I, I liked the cat in the hat and a few of the Dr. Seuss books. I enjoyed them when I was a kid. I intend to read them to my kids. He, he was a very talented children's book author, even though he was a liberal Democrat, by the way, that's fine. It's okay. I can have my disagreements with the children's book author. The person who suffers when you cancel these guys, it's not Dr. Seuss. He's enjoying his eternal reward, either up above or down below, not for me to know. The people who suffer are us because the books are good and they're, they are nice for children and they show us something. They're artistic. They are, they delight little children as they have for decades. And what people like this humorless nut in the Washington Post and the left wingers who want to get rid of Seuss because of racism whatever that means these days, uh, what they are doing is taking away that delight specifically from children. They're actually, it's like the next they're going to be taking candy away from children and they're defending it based on their preposterous theories, but there is no limiting principle. We're all going to lose it. All that lovely art, all those wonderful things about our culture that we cherish, it's gone by the principles that they are advocating. Ben is going to be speaking about this Dr. Seuss issue. In, on his show today, talking about the modern day book burning, which is digital. And I guess the publisher is actually just not putting out Dr. Seuss. Also, you have to check out Ben in the Daily Wire's newest series, Debunked. Every Friday, Ben is exposing popular fallacies that left-wing activists and politicians put forward. In his first episode, 
which is now, now available to Daily Wire members. Ben is going to debunk the arguments of the minimum wage. Debunked is available exclusively to Daily Wire members. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code debunked to get 25% off your new membership. Head on over to Daily Wire. We'll be right back with a lot more. Dr. Seuss is being canceled. This is an example of a bad cancellation. But you know, I, I have said many times on this show, I think cancel culture is not the most helpful phrase because in the words of William F. Buckley Jr., I'm an epistemological optimist. It's a very uh, tedious phrase, which means that I don't think the culture should be totally open. I think it should be closed to certain ideas. I think it should be ordered toward good things and it should discourage bad things. So there are bad cancellations like Dr. Seuss, but there are good cancellations like the one that's going on right now to Andrew Cuomo. (laughs) Andrew Cuomo, I think is being canceled for politically convenient and largely contrived reasons. He's, they, they conveniently have discovered sex scandals that all seem very vague. And in some cases, the people who are being implicated in them are explicitly saying, I did not feel that this was sexual harassment, but really that's just an excuse to cancel him because he uh, threw thousands of elderly New Yorkers into dangerous places with the coronavirus. Then he knew about it. Then he covered it up. Now he's under a federal probe. Bill de Blasio, a radical Democrat in New York, is taking the opportunity to pile on to Andrew Cuomo and hopefully end his political career. First of all, it sickened me. It sickened me. Um, The thought of a powerful man trying to take advantage of his power, intimidate a young woman, um, you know, and just the sense of like he was treating her like you know, again, these are allegations and we need a full investigation. But if that was what truly happened, it was like he was treating her like she was his property. Uh, Just disgusting, creepy. And, um, you know, I had seen so many situations where he was abusive to people in a profound way, not just raising your voice, but profoundly abusive. A lot of folks use the word torture with him that he you've seen this you've seen this personally mayor i've seen him not in the sense of sexual harassment i've seen him be abusive in a way that would not be accepted by anyone else in leadership so more vague allegations he goes yeah yeah he's been abusive and the radio host says to the bolshevik mayor of new york city he says, hold on, you, you've seen the specific behavior that we're talking about? He goes, well, you know, yeah, it's, it's just abusive. It's bad. It's bad behavior. And so he's got to go. I don't, I don't particularly have a dog in this fight. To me, Cuomo versus de Blasio is like the Mensheviks versus, versus the Bolsheviks. You know, it, uh, New York is so far gone at this point that I'm, I'm not interested. I will say, Cuomo, if, if you got to pick between arsenic and cyanide, Cuomo is a far more preferable choice to de Blasio. Cuomo is a kind of old school machine Democrat, whereas de Blasio is an actual true believing radical, really, really radical, far, far leftist. So they're all going after Cuomo now. Uh, Fine by me. I don't mind if Andrew Cuomo's political career goes down. I do though think that we should be a, a little more honest about it with ourselves and not give into this idea that because somebody makes an allegation that Cuomo 
handed a, a reporter an Italian sausage at a fair several years ago that that constitutes rape or something. I just think, I think those kind of, the Me Too arguments against Andrew Cuomo seem to me a little vague right now. I haven't seen a lot of evidence for it. The, the real crime is what he did on coronavirus and we should not let him forget it. And the, I'm a little worried that the more we talk about the so-called sex scandal, the less we're talking about the actual scandal, which is his abuse of power in the cover-up of his COVID policies and the policies themselves, which were extraordinarily deadly. Another guy getting canceled right now, another politician, Nicolas Sarkozy, the former president of France. Nicolas Sarkozy was a more conservative president after uh, years and centuries, I guess, of left-wing governance there. Sarkozy was found guilty of corruption and influence peddling on Monday. He was sentenced to three years in prison. He probably isn't going to serve that. He'll probably, you know, some will be uh, taken off and then he'll probably get house arrest, but still he'll be, he'll be sentenced to that. Uh, he was found guilty of trying to bribe a magistrate in exchange for information about a legal case in which he was implicated, according to the Associated Press. This is kind of typical political stuff. It doesn't seem like anything Sarkozy did was, was particularly extraordinary. Uh, I'm going to take an unpopular position in these populist days and say, I think it's bad when politicians are sent to prison after their time in office, at least at the national level. I mean, there are some local, more local guys who are crooks and they, they need to pay for it. But I, I think it's bad for the country when leaders of the country go to prison I recognize that conservatives had a good time chanting, lock her up, lock her up. But I don't think anyone seriously thought that Hillary Clinton was going to go to prison. Even when Trump made that line in the debate, he says, yeah, you don't want me to be president because you'd be in jail. You know, it's a good line, but everyone's laughing about it because no one's, no one's really taking it seriously. I think the left now probably does want to throw Trump in an orange jumpsuit, uh, but we'll see if that actually happens. Biden has backed off of that as well. It's just ugly. It's, it's banana Republic stuff. And I'm not saying that politicians at the highest level sometimes don't deserve criminal punishment or to go to prison or something. They do. I'm just saying that it is worth it for the people to give them a little more leniency because it reflects so badly on us. It reflects so badly on the, the people themselves. It really degrades the government. I think Biden is awful. I think he is one of the most notorious liars in American politics. I think he is pushing radical policies that threatened to undo the entire country. I don't think we should throw him in the clink. One, because he wouldn't know where he was. I guess that would maybe make his prison sentence a little easier. He'd just wake up in the morning and say, oh, wow, re redecorated here, huh? Okay, well, I'll just go back to eating his porridge or whatever. Uh, but uh, I, I do think it would be bad if we were to throw these guys in prison. It would just, it would so destabilize our political system, more so perhaps than it already is. But it would be elder abuse too. Joe Biden. Joe Biden is doing worse and worse each day. It's not like the campaign was a big stress on him. Now he's president. He's evening out. He's, he's forgetting what he's saying. He, he, he's not ho holding a lot of public appearances. And a recent one uh, explains why. He, he can't even uh, remember the, the names of people that he's reading off a list. You're all being very polite. You're with me all day and it's dinner time. <laughs> Good afternoon, or almost, actually it's evening. And uh, I want to thank you, uh, Governor Ms. Abbott, for uh, your hospitality and your friendship. And uh, Representative Senator Cornyn, I think he had to go back. Uh, I think he's getting on a plane. He told me a little last, he came in to see me last event. 
And representatives, uh, Shirley Jackson Lee, Al Green, Sylvia Garcia, Lizzie Pinelli, uh, uh, excuse me, Pinnell, and uh, what am I doing here? I'm going to lose track here. What am I doing here? We're losing track here. Maybe he should have given the press conference at breakfast rather than uh, in the evening. He's saying here, it's dinner time. And sometimes people do a little better in the morning as they get older than they do at night. That's clearly what's happening here. Not even just that he forgets the names, not even just that he's so slow and halting, but he's slurring his words. And I'm sure the Democrats are going to blame this on the the childhood stutter that disappeared magically for 65 years of Joe Biden's political career, but then magically came back again when the 78-year-old ran for president. Uh, but it's not a, not a stutter. It's not ordinary politics. He's slurring his word. He sounds like a guy at a bar after several drinks. That sort of thing happens when you get a little bit up there in age, but this is not good stuff for the commander in chief. And what it means is we're in a position that the, the younger, more able people in the administration are probably running things. Joe Biden paid a visit to the Southern border, which he can't wait to reopen. He can't wait to just pull those, the little bit of wall that did go up. He's going to pull it down probably himself. He and Corn Pop are going to team up and rip the wall down. Joe Biden was asked by reporters, Hey, Mr. Biden, what, what did you learn when you went down to the wall? His answer, pretty vague. Did you receive a briefing about the border today? Uh, yes, I did. What did you learn? A lot. Is there a crisis at the border, sir? Oh gosh, it's even worse. That's right. It's not, it's not even that he went down to the border. It's, he just received the briefing, right? So he should have the bullet points. He should know, okay, I learned this, 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 this. You got a briefing on the border? Yeah, uh-huh. What, uh, what time is it? Can I get out of here? Yeah, you got, what did you learn about the briefing? Uh-huh. A lot. See ya. Goodbye. I mean, that's a joke. If you were to have a sitcom about the White House, that would be an answer. That is not a fair answer if you were the actual president. And I say all of this not to make fun of Joe Biden, because I actually do think it's sort of elder abuse. He's fair game because he chose to run for office and he's inflicting a lot of damage on our country. And if you're going to be in politics, you have to be able to take the punches of politics. But I, I point all of this out because no matter how much he slurs his words, the guy is going to be effective. He's, he's going to be more effective than Trump. Pains me to say that. And I, it's not even a personal attack on Donald Trump. I think Trump did the best he could. But Donald Trump was fighting against the entire bureaucracy, the entire media, many elected politicians, and many people in his own party and many much more experienced career politicians. So he was at a great disadvantage. Joe Biden has all of those institutions working for him. And Joe Biden has spent his entire life wielding power in Washington. One thing that he's going to do is very simple. He is trying to root out all the bureaucrats that were installed by Trump. And there, there actually weren't too many of them, but he was, this, this was uh, the way this is being reported in the news, Joe Biden is reportedly attempting to sniff out federal bureaucrats installed by and loyal to his predecessor to purge the federal government of Trump supporters. As well he should. As well he should. If I were a president, first thing I would do would be to try to root out all of the partisans 
who pretend to be nonpartisans, but they're partisans working in the bureaucracy who could undermine my agenda. This was one of the biggest challenges Trump faced, and he never quite figured out how to overcome it. Maybe just because the problem can't be overcome, which is that Trump gets elected. He's theoretically running the government, but he's not really running the government because the government is run by the executive agencies and the bureaucracy, which is going to be there long after Trump is gone. And it's very hard to get rid of those employees. He got rid of a lot of them, but so many more remained. I think of this example of just the Department of Homeland Security. The Department of Homeland Security, which is a very new agency, and it's just one agency among many in, the, in Washington, has over 200,000 employees. I think it's closer to a quarter million employees. It's just one agency. Think about how big that is. So what Biden is going to do is go in there and try to pick out all of the Trump people because people are power in an administrative bureaucracy. And that's going to have long, long lasting effects. Speaking of administrative agencies, I, I don't want this story to go down the memory hole. The left is, is going to try to do that. And they're already trying to do that. When Democrats impeached Donald Trump, what did they impeach the second time? I'm sorry that I have to clarify. What did they impeach him for? They impeached him for inciting a riot, an insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. That charge was always bogus. They didn't have evidence for it. But what was the key piece of evidence they presented? Not to make a logical argument, but to tug on the emotional heartstrings. The key piece of evidence was that an officer died because of the violent mob insurrection. Officer Brian Sicknick was killed. And they, he, they threw a fire extinguisher at his head. Then it turned out that wasn't true, even though it was reported in the New York Times. It turned out it wasn't true at all. Then there were questions about Officer Sicknick's death. Then his family said, stop politicizing his death. Then it came out that Officer Sicknick seemed to have been a Trump supporter. And then the story just kind of went away. Well, FBI Director Christopher Wray has investigated Officer Sicknick's very tragic death. He, he says that they can't confirm a cause of death. There have been some reports that he died of a stroke or of some pre-existing health condition. This was the basis of the impeachment trial. We've now had an investigation, what, over two months now, almost? And they can't confirm the cause of death. Other, other people who died that day were not killed, it seems, by the violent mob, maybe in one case, but it's still sort of uncertain. The only death that's very clear is the death of the Trump supporter, Ashley Babbitt. What about the pipe bombs? Remember there were pipe bombs planted outside the RNC and the DNC, I think maybe outside the Capitol too. Very clear. We still don't know who planted the pipe bombs. DC is the most surveilled state city rather in, in the entire country. What about that? When are we going to get answers on these sorts of things? seems like we're never going to get answers on these sorts of things that we should, we should be able to get clear answers on. And more specifically, answers on things that are being used as the primary propaganda for the left to push their agenda, to continue to keep Washington, D.C. practically under martial rule. It looks like it's a city in, under occupation in the Middle East or something like that, more than it does like an American city. We're not getting answers to that. Is that incompetence or is that a power grab? Seems, seems to me, I mean, I, I don't doubt the incompetence of the administrative agencies, but this seems to me rotten and the mainstream media just don't want 
to cover it. Time to get past this insanity. Time to open back up our country. Cynical politicians are using fears over the coronavirus lockdowns, fears over insurrection, fears over this, fears over that, to take away our rights, to take away our traditions, to take away the American way of life. And it's just gone on and on and on and on. Two weeks to slow the spread, 15 days to slow the spread. We are now coming up, this month, we will be coming up on one year. There is no excuse anymore. As far as I'm concerned, anybody who still supports locking down the country ought to be removed from office, possibly tarred and feathered, and certainly run out of the country on a rail. I'm sick of it. I don't want to hear it anymore. Any Republican, any Republican who says, maybe we should still sort of lock down. I want them expelled from the Republican party. We obviously, we have no say over Democrats. Democrats are using these methods but certainly Republicans don't need to help them. Well, finally, 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 some states are opening back up. Now, some states like Florida already doing an excellent job. Ron DeSantis, absolutely killing it down there. Finally, Texas, which I think should have opened up a long time ago, is reopening to 100% capacity. The governor there finally decided to do it. We turn now to uh, Senator Cruz for reaction. My man, absolutely right. Freedom. I love it. That clip uh, was from CPAC. And it's funny, some on the left were kind of making fun of the clip of, of uh, Senator Cruz. He just, he was giving this sort of broader articulate speech. And then he said, freedom. I love it. Yeah, good. I want all of our politicians to be freedom. I want them to be screaming at morning, noon, and night until these cynical and sociopathic politicians reopen our country. Good news. Finally, better late than never, Governor Abbott. Wish that this had happened sooner but better late than never. I'm not even going to criticize Abbott for not doing this sooner because I don't see any reason to have any sort of infighting on this kind of uh, an essential matter for a country. Just reopen the damn country. Mississippi doing this too. Mississippi going even further. Uh, Mississippi was always kind of dealing with the, the virus in a sort of more reasonable way than some of the crazier states. But the Mississippi governor is saying no more mask mandates. Quote, starting tomorrow, we are lifting all of our county mask mandates and businesses will be able to operate at full capacity without any state imposed rules. Our hospitalizations and case numbers have plummeted and the vaccine is being rapidly distributed. It is time. My man, Governor Tate Reeves. Terrific. So glad to hear that. I also don't want to hear from Republicans anymore who tell us to wear the masks. I, I, I have to wear the mask in very limited circumstances, because we live in a extremely corrupt regime, but that's the way it is. And the, the limited circumstance, I guess, would be the airplanes. That's the one where you, you really can't do it. And so there might be cases where I think, okay, do I need to go on this trip? If I don't need to, then I'm not going to go on the flight because I don't want to wear the stupid mask. But if there are some cases where I think, oh, okay, I, I should go on this trip. I can use this trip to fight against this corrupt system. I'll make a political calculation to wear the mask. Otherwise, I am not going to wear a mask any more than I have to. And the way that we can reduce the number of situations in which we have to is for Republicans to grow a spine. I know that will be very difficult for many Republicans. And to stop defending the masks, which are the symbol and an enforcement instrument of this outrageous power grab that 
some of us knew a year ago was not going to only last two weeks. But now I think we should all know as we come up on the one year anniversary, get rid of it. This stuff is creepy and it is insane. Clearest, clearest portrayal of this from the LA Unified Schools. LA Unified Schools has a video out to promote their new policies for how they're going to reopen after COVID. Now we know from the science, capital S, trademark over the E, we know from the science that there is no medical reason for the schools to remain closed. The kids don't really transmit it very much. The teachers and faculty are not at any particularly higher risk of getting the virus. The reason that the schools are remaining closed is because corrupt left-wing teacher unions are too lazy and they want to get a paycheck for doing nothing. So LA schools now are, are pushing, how are we going to reopen? And it's, tell me this isn't the creepiest thing you've ever heard. There's never been anything like this virus in our lifetime. Often, it's hard to see the effects it's having on our children. Has this conversation taken place in your home? Mom, I'm scared about going back to school. I don't want to get sick, and I don't want to get you and Dad sick. Our scientists tell us there are three things we must do to stay safe. Wear masks, make sure we social distance, and wash our hands. And now, your school, with the help of Microsoft Corporation, has created another. Introducing Daily Pass, your exclusive ticket for safely going back to school. Each week, you can schedule your free on-campus COVID test. The results are displayed in your Daily Pass. And if you choose to take your test off campus, you can post the results in your Daily Pass. And the moment vaccinations are available, you'll simply be able to schedule yours through your Daily Pass. But the real magic is your daily health check. Just answer a few simple health questions every day, and like magic, your entrance ticket appears. It's so wonderful. Just give us access to all of your medical data, and I don't know, send us some of your blood too, and then do, 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 do. Then we can all go back to school and give us all your rights and don't have any privacy anymore. Does this ever happen in your home? Hey, mom, I'm really afraid of coronavirus, and I. I'm so afraid of going to school. No, that doesn't happen because kids don't feel that way because kids are at practically zero risk of this virus and they all want to go back to school and their rates of depression, anxiety, suicide among kids has been going up because of these psycho politicians and the technocrat in tyrants in lab coats like Dr. Fauci who are screwing up their lives over nothing but a power grab. That's what's going on. Not that creepy video. It gets somehow, somehow, it's even creepier by the end. So, how did it go? Dad, I have to admit, I was scared at first, but then I felt so safe. It was so good to be back. Thanks for keeping me safe. I love you so much. <laughs> what? If you're going to push this kind of creepy propaganda, can't you, I don't know, get better dialogue? Dialogue that doesn't send a chill up our spine? Thank you, Bill Gates. I mean, Daddy. Thank you. Dr. Fauci. Oh, daddy, daddy. I keep meaning to say daddy. I, can I call him daddy Fauci? Daddy, daddy, Dr. Fauci. Uh, no, uh, this does not represent the situation that we find ourselves in and it doesn't represent the situation we want. That's the kind of radicalism that is being pushed, not by the fringes. It's being pushed by the liberal establishment. We need to head them off and stop them every chance we get. If it's by shooting down a nominee to some office in the government, if it's through elections, if it's through civil disobedience on our own in prudent cases, such as going back, living our lives, seeing our families, taking off that dumb mask. Makes sense to me. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow.
If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Bory. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. The cancel mob's outrage has now extended to dead children's book authors. The director of the FBI suspiciously refuses to provide any information about the death of Officer Sicknick. Texas lifts all COVID restrictions. Meanwhile, Joe Biden says that maybe if we're lucky, we can get back to normal next year. All of that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show.